today we look at the book of Colossians, which I am calling Paul's letter to the to Laodicea. There were seven churches in the book of Revelations. The last one's Laodicea, so that's what that's about. And you might be wondering, what about how's Colossians the letter to Laodicea? Well, I'll explain as we go further. But this is a series that's going to take us the next couple months. It's actually a series on the book of Colossians. So if you want to, during the week, read through the book of Colossians, I would encourage you to do that in preparation for this study that we're going to have week after week. It's a short book, just four chapters. It's an easy read and just tremendous material. So I hope you'll uh, take that challenge and read the book of Colossians going into this series. Today, however, is mainly focused on the book of Revelation, chapters, chapter 3, and this message to the Laodicean church, the last church. And I call this particular message, the church of love, Laodicea, the church of love. Because as you think of the different churches, the last one is Laodicea, and I think it will be the church of love. I really do, once it accepts the counsel that's given to it. However, prior to that state, uh, God has some words for it, and we'll be looking at those today. So today you're going to get a little different sermon, especially if you're a visitor here. We're going to be going through some Adventist history and quite a few slides on Laodicea and especially the repentance that God is calling Laodicea to. So that gives you a little hint on exactly where we're going. There in the book of Colossians, it says, put on love above all these things, put on love and be ye thankful. Let us pray. Oh, indeed, Father, today we are thankful and we choose to put on love. Lord, we know that love, the kind of agape love that you have is not something that we have in ourselves, but we need it and you offer it freely and fully. And so we accept today, send your Holy Spirit to be our teacher and our guide in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Paul's letter to Laodicea. Go with me to Colossians. So I said we're going to be mostly in Revelation, but go to Colossians first because I want to explain this. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And I want to go to chapter 4. And verse 12, chapter 4, verse 12, Colossians. I've got the King James rendering this morning. <clears throat> and it reads as follows, Epaphras or Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, salutes you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Wouldn't you love to be there, perfect and complete in all the will of God? For I bear him record that he has a great zeal for you and for them that are in Laodicea and them in Hierapolis. And these were sort of a triad of cities. They were all uh, quite close together. Going on, Luke the beloved physician and Demas greet you. Salute the brethren which are at Laodicea and Nymphus and the church which is in his house. And when this epistle is read among you, 
So when this Colossian epistle, epistle is read among you, cause that it also be read, where? In the church of Laodicea. So this is a companion to another book or another letter as we read on. And you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. So there was a letter written to Laodicea. We're not sure. Um, we think it's a missing letter. However, it could be. Some people think it's the book of Hebrews of all things. So try it sometime. Read the book of Hebrews and read Colossians and go back and forth and see if you get some insight there. But it's quite possibly a missing letter, but this letter to Colossians was to be read to the church in Laodicea, so it's certainly beneficial. So that's why I'm going with Paul's letter to Laodicea. It, in Colossians, is at least a companion book to um, this letter of Laodicea, which we're not exactly sure about. All right, with that introduction, now go to Revelation chapter 3. And verse 14, as we look at this letter to the last church, Laodicea. We have Ephesus, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamus, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and then Laodicea, the seven churches. Philadelphia is the brotherly love church, right? But agape is, or Laodicea is the agape church, I believe. Once it accepts the counsel to that church. Look at verse 14 to begin with. <clears throat> and he says this, John says, and unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write. Now that title, Laodiceans, Laos de Key is the word in the Greek. Laos means people. And deke means judged or judged right or righteous. So we have a people judged, judged righteous in the name Laodicea. These things says the amen, the faithful and true witness. And again, the King James here says the beginning of the creation of God. Now, other versions actually get this a little better than because that could lead you to believe, well, what do you mean? Was he created? No, not at all. Uh, that word in the Greek also is archi or ruler. So he's the ruler of the creation. He's first in preeminence. He is the amen. And Christ said amen before he made statements. We always say it after to say, let it be even as you have said, was what amen means, right? But Christ, of course, when he, as soon as he said it, it was. So he often said amen before he said something. But in your King James Bible, and most of your Bibles, it won't say amen. It will use what word? Does anyone know? Verily, right? Verily is amen. And sometimes he uses the double amen. Verily, verily. So here he's described, the one giving this message to the church in Laodicea is described as the amen, the faithful and true witness. So whatever he's going to say, there's no way we're going to doubt it because he's the amen, the faithful and true witness the ruler of God's creation, verse 15. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish, or I would, that thou were cold or hot. Now that may uh, give a cause for pause. Well, I mean, you could see why he'd want them to be hot, but cold, why would he want them to be cold? Well, think of it in terms of temperature. 
There were waters coming down from Colossae that were cold waters. Uh, Hierapolis actually had hot springs, so you put them together and you got Laodicea, which is kind of lukewarm. He'd rather have them cold, that is feeling that they're cold and feeling their need, or hot feeling, man, I gotta find some shade, than lukewarm, right? You can run lukewarm water and, on your hand and maybe forget it's even running, right? Because you don't really feel. God wants his church to feel. And so that's why he would rather they be cold or hot. At least they weren't numb. In Africa, um, rats will chew the fingers off of uh, lepers because their, their limbs become numb. So it's, of course, not a good condition to be in. Uh, Laodicea is lukewarm, not hot nor cold. Verse 16, so then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, King James says, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Again, the Greek, referring to the Greek, it really says more literally, I am about to. Now, this is a message from Jesus, and he's saying, I don't feel well, right? And so this is a very solemn message that we have today. Uh, Jesus feels like vomiting, to be quite straightforth. Verse 17, why would he feel such a way? Because you say, I am rich, and increased with goods and have need of nothing. But there's something they didn't know, isn't there? Something that we don't know because this is us. And by the way, as I go through these, I'm gonna go through quite a few slides in, in a row here coming up. Um, and it would be easy to say, well, boy, I sure wish so-and-so heard that or, or that's for them. No, no, I think it'd be best for us to say, <laughs> It's me, it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Amen. Don't look at it as the world church, although some of it applies to the world. It's not that it doesn't apply to those other entities, but I think we'll get the most out of it if we say, that's me, Lord. Speak to me, change me. I am Laodicea. Just a little heads up as we get into what Christ says to his last church that he loves and that I believe will become the church of love. Because you say you are rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Now that's a pretty bad place to be, wouldn't you say? I mean, it'd be bad enough to just be those things, but to be those things and not know it, that is pretty scary. But that is what Christ is telling his church, us, that they are. But he doesn't just leave them there, right? God never does that to us. He's always educating. He's always bringing us up to where he wants us to be. And so we have verse 18, which is the counsel to the church of Laodicea. And it's the counsel to the church of Laodicea that actually causes the shaking so this is a beautiful thing. If you look at it and say, well, yeah, I need that. I need that. I need that. Then it's, it's a good thing. But if you say, no, no, I'm rich and increased with goods. I, don't, I have need of nothing. Then it might sting a bit more. And uh, unfortunately, it will sting. But it's the remedy for Laodicea. This counsel 
things that he says, buy of me. Isaiah 55, one says, oh, come buy freely. In other words, it's not buy, it's sort of the concept here is buy in. Buy into these things, accept these things. Don't be lukewarm thinking you don't need these things. And what are these things, three things we look at in verse 18. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, truly rich, right? Spiritually rich. They thought they were rich. And he's saying, you're not rich. <laughs> you need gold to be rich. And the gold he's talking about is the gold of faith. First Peter chapter one, verse seven and onward. Uh, looks like I have time. We will actually turn there, but let me go through the other two and then we'll look at, at uh, this first one. Counsel thee to buy gold tried in the fire that you may truly be rich and white raiment that you mayest be clothed instead of naked and that the shame of thy nakedness does not appear. And thirdly, that you might anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. All right, keep your finger there because we're coming right back there, but go to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 7. So this gold, this is obviously symbology, right? It's not giving out gold bars, um, silver, or any of that stuff, right? <laughs> This is something spiritual. This is our deepest heart need that he's trying to satisfy. Gold tried in the fire. 1 Peter 1.7 says that the trial of your faith, gold tried in the fire, the trial of your faith being much more precious than that of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, the same language we see, might be found under the praise and the honor of and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. So we have in this gold, God is offering us faith. How many would, would you like a little more faith? Be okay with that? A little more faith? Yeah, actually this faith he's offering is the faith of Jesus. It's the perfect uh, faith that Christ worked out, wrought out in his life. So we're being offered faith. And Galatians 5, 6 says that faith works by love and purifies the soul. So I see in this gold, faith and love. So that's the first thing that's being offered as counsel to the church of Laodicea. Secondly is white raiment. And we don't have to go out of the book of Revelation to find that. In fact, you can go back to uh, verse four of this very same chapter Chapter three, verse four of Revelation, thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcomes, the same will be clothed in white raiment. So we're talking about an overcoming of the saints. And then, of course, Revelation 19 is probably the, the key text there that compares with that. And it says this, 19, verse 8. I'll look at verse 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife has made herself ready. 
And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the linen is the righteousness of saints. So here we're talking about righteousness, right? So the first one was talking about faith, the gold tried in the fire. Now we're talking about righteousness. So righteousness by faith. We see it right here. But the third one is so important also, and that is the ISAV that God wants to give us, and that's Holy Spirit enlightenment. I don't think we'll turn. Yeah, let's turn there. We turn to Acts chapter 10. Keep your finger in Revelation because we're coming back there. But Acts chapter 10. By the way, we're having a great study on the book of Acts on Tuesday at 7 o'clock. If you can join us, we're almost through with the book. And uh, we'll be uh, praying about where we're going next. But uh, we're still there right now. And so if you look at Acts 10 and verse 38. So this is about anointing. God says, I want to anoint your eyes with ISAB. 1038 says, and God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the what? With the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. So this third one is the Holy Spirit enlightenment. And oh, how we need that today. We're gonna be looking in Colossians at the various errors that came in in their day, and they're very similar to the ones we have today, the things that have come into God's church, not just the Adventist church, but the Church of Battle Creek, you could call it, or the church, the worldwide church, but also uh, affecting the Adventist church also. So we'll be looking at that as we go through the book of Colossians. But back now to Revelation 3, there's three things that we need, and we may not know we need them, because it says we don't know we need them. That's gold, that is faith, white raiment, the righteousness of Christ, and ISAB, to be able to understand and clearly discern truth from error as it comes to us. Verse 19, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and sup with him and he with me. To him that overcomes will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. Oh, what a, what a blessing to the overcomers. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So that's the tremendous promise. But this verse, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, be zealous, therefore, or anxious, therefore, to repent. Sometimes we think of repentance, I think, as a bad thing or a dirty word or something like that. And uh, it certainly isn't, right? It's, it's the fullest joy and blessing to experience repentance. And so we look at some statements regarding that now. And here's the first one. This says, that which God purposed to do for the world through Israel, the chosen nation, he will finally accomplish through his church on earth today. Come on and say amen if that's good news. 
what Israel didn't accomplish, right? So much of the last parts of Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah are what could have been because they were conditional prophecies to Israel. But what Israel didn't accomplish, God's church will on earth today. He has let out his vineyard to other husbandmen, even to his covenant-keeping people who faithfully render him fruits in their seasons. What is this repentance about? Well, as I go through some of these um, um, slides in this presentation, you'll notice some of Adventist history, and we should know at least something about Adventist history because here we are in Battle Creek where it all began, right? We're rich in Adventist history, rich. Um, but uh, some we may not know, and some of this will be referring to something that happened. We have a general conference session every four years now. It used to be every two. Is that right, Jerry? Or sometimes they'd have them yearly, I think. They had them five at 1.2. Okay, so they, it's been many different uh, uh, year periods. But there was a special one that we're going to refer to here, and that was back in 1888, so quite a long time ago. And it happened in Minneapolis. And it changed the way this church looked at righteousness by faith. It really did. Uh, God sent two men, especially A.T. Jones and E.J. Wagner, to bring this message, which Ellen White would call a most precious message. And oh, it is to the people. We may have some books out on the back. Uh, some of you have recently read uh, some of A.T. Jones' writings, um, and we're really blessed. So we have those books at the back if you'd like. But that sort of gives you the context of some of these statements as we continue on, enfeebled and defective as it may appear. Do you ever think the church is enfeebled and defective? <laughs> enfeebled and defective as it may appear, the church is the one object upon which God bestows in a special sense, his supreme regard. It is the theater of his grace in which he delights to reveal his power to do what? to transform hearts. So God would have his church to be the theater of his grace for the transformation of hearts. That's the good news. <laughs> so some of these are gonna maybe step on our toes a little bit, so uh, hope you have your steel-toed boots this morning. But remember, it's God's message, right? He loves Laodicea. If he didn't, if he, didn't he wouldn't send what he sent and what he still wants us to receive today. I cannot fail to see that the light which God has given me is not favorable to our ministers or our churches. You have left your first love. Self-righteousness is not the wedding garment. A failure to follow the clear light of truth is our fearful danger. The message to the Laodicean church reveals our condition as a people. And historically, there was a time when Adventists thought, well, yeah, Laodicea, that's them out there. And then it came a little closer to home. <laughs> we realized it's us. It's us also. And this, oh, I love this counsel here. Lay bare your heart for his inspection. Confess your sins, asking him to forgive you. Pleading the merits of the atonement. And then by faith, contemplate the great scheme of redemption and the comforter 
will bring all these things to your remembrance. So he's saying, Laodicea, open your heart. Don't think you've got it all together. Think that you need me more because you really do. And I so want to satisfy your every need, God says. This one relates specifically to that meeting I was referring to in Minneapolis. Since the time of the Minneapolis meeting, I've seen the state of the Laodicean church as never before. I have heard the rebuke of God spoken to those who feel so well satisfied, but who know not their spiritual destitution. Like the Jews, many have closed their eyes lest they should see. But there is as great peril now in closing our eyes to light and in walking apart from Christ, feeling need of nothing as there, one, as there was when he was upon our heart. Further down, he, Satan, has sought to shut Jesus from their view as the comforter. So Jesus has several things here, and please uh, uh, tune into this if, if you can. The comforter is one who reproves, who warns, and who admonishes them, saying, this is the way, walk ye in it. Christ is our comforter and also our reprover, right? The Holy Spirit is our comforter and our reprover, and he does both those things at once in such a most wonderful way. Many sermons are preached that are Christless, as was the offering of Cain. Ouch. <laughs> and heavenly intelligences look with amazement and sorrow upon the self-tainted, worthless offering. And then this last part, oh, Lord, may this not be us. May it not be us. Should Christ come to our world as he came at his first advent, many who imagine themselves to be children of God would do what? They would criticize him. Oh, Lord, that was us. That was us. We are convinced that among the people of God, there is a blindness of mind and hardness of heart. Although God has manifest inexpressible mercy towards us. How few feel, I'm sorry, how few are there are who are truly humble, devoted, God-fearing servants in the cause of Christ, whose hearts are full of gratitude and thanksgiving because they are called to act a part in the work of God. That is absolutely everyone in this church, right? We're called to act a part in the work of God, and that should fill our hearts with gratitude. Oh, that you would use me, little old me, to share your message. Being co-laborers with Jesus Christ, partakers with Christ of his sufferings. Paul said, I would know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. We talk a lot about power. This is powerful. I want power, power, power. We don't talk much about sufferings. But God would have us experience both. And Christ will be our comforter in every one of those sufferings. Today, there are few who are heartily serving God. The most of those who compose our congregations are spiritually dead in trespasses and sins. They are less and less sensible of the preciousness, value, and value of truth. So important. Stay close to the Lord and stay close to his word. Amen? Lots of things are, may have a form of truth or some truth, 
but we need the truth and nothing but the truth. Amen? And that's what will be found in the Bible. Many, uh, many situations are, are hypothetical. Well, what if this meant that and if this meant that? You know, it's got to be founded on this. Amen? We can, we can ruminate in our minds, and God wants us to speak to our minds and for us to think. But we take from the text and then get it rather than try to read into the text what is not there sometimes. And so too much hypothetical can be a problem. And um, I would warn you as Christians today to be careful with that and to hold on to God's beautiful truth. Going on, they are less and less sensible of the preciousness and value of truth because they neglect the practice of those things which are pleasing in the sight of God. Now, God's got to help us with that. Amen? We can't practice unless he gives us the power to do so. But he never calls us to do anything without giving us the power to do so. Right? All his biddings are enablings. And so his promises are right at the middle of this. The stirring testimonies of reproof and warning do not arouse them. Oh, and this next part, oh, just warms my heart and sort of breaks it too because of the context of it. The sweetest melodies that come from God through human lips. What are they? Justification by faith and the righteousness of Christ. Do not bring forth from them a response of love and gratitude. You know, coming back to the word, there are some paraphrase Bibles out there that don't even use these words. And I know, I understand why they were written. They were written to try to make it more acceptable and understandable to the modern reader. I get that. But I think we lose a lot when we lose these concepts. There's an Adventist Bible called the Remedy. I'll make mention of it. Never uses these terms at all. And uh, I say Adventist. There's only one real Bible, but there's lots of paraphrases. But to me, to do away with all these terms that are so rich in meaning is not the remedy at all. To hold on to those things, the sweetest melodies that come from God through human lips, justification by faith and the righteousness of Christ, do not bring forth from them a response of gratitude and love. Does it bring it forth from you? Though the heavenly merchant man displays before them the richest jewels and faith and love, though his voice invites them to buy of me gold, tried in the fire, white raiment, and I said that you may see, they steal their hearts against him. Oh, may that not be any one of us or anyone listening. And fail to exchange their lukewarmness. This is what God wants to do for us. Exchange our lukewarmness for love and zeal. But fold their hands in complacency. They make a profession. But deny the power of true godliness. If they continue in this state, God will reject them with abhorrence. To praise the world and God, trying to live on two sides of the fence, at the same time is in no way acceptable to God. 
Now you might say, well, there's a little bit of both sides in me. Look, God is working with us. God will bring us from where we are to where he wants us to be. But this is a solemn statement that God is saying to us. Follows by awake, awake before it is everlastingly too late. While the church members are listless and neglectful of their God-given responsibility, how can they expect to receive the treasures of heaven to impart to others? Spirit of God followed the impenitent with warnings and entreaties. The bright beams of the Son of Righteousness illumined the mind, but many refused the compassion of a loving Savior. Again, may none of this be us, amen? And if we have any part of this, God, take it away from us, because only he can. <clears throat> and would not permit their hearts to break and melt under the beams of his love. I don't know about you, but I say, Lord, do your work, you know? Do your work. Come to my heart. Melt it. Make it. I know I need your help. Well, I'm glad we're... I'm glad we're not as bad as those in Jesus' day, at least. Well, there is less excuse in our day for stubbornness and unbelief than there was for the Jews in the days of Christ. They did not have them before, before them, the example of a nation that suffered retribution for their unbelief and disobedience. Let us as a people, and this is a call to us, right? It's a call to God's church as far as possible, cleanse the camp of moral defilement and aggravating sins. God will do that work if we'll just let him. He's offering, he's saying, I, I want to give this to you. It's a process, but he wants to give it to us. When sin is making its march upon the people who claim to be elevating the moral standard of righteousness, how can we expect God to turn his power in our behalf to save us as a people as if they did righteousness, right? Why would, he, why would he give that to us when we're in that state? All the policy in the world cannot save us from the terrible sifting. And all the efforts made with high authorities will not lift us from the scourging of God. If God puts a pestilence upon a nation, or upon anything, only God can lift that pestilence, amen? You can try all the political maneuvers and laws, and <laughs> God's a little bigger than that. And the reason, just because sin is cherished. Oh, Lord, pull the sin out of our lives. By the way, this message is really about the cleansing of the sanctuary, if any of you understand that concept. This is really what we're getting at here. If as a people, we do not keep ourselves in the faith and not only advocate with pen and voice the commandments of God, but keep every one of them, not violating a single precept knowingly, then weakness and ruin will come upon us. Again, quite a stern message, but there's good news at the end. It is a work that we must attend to in every one of our churches Satan will work his miracles to deceive. He will set up his power as supreme. That's the context for this great statement. The church may appear to fall, but does it fall? 
No, it does not. But it does not fall. It remains while the sinners in Zion will be sifted out, the chaff separated from the precious wheat. This is a terrible ordeal. But nevertheless, it must take place. None but those, and so here's where Christ wants us to be in all this. None but those who have overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony will be found with the loyal and true without spot or stain of sin, without guile in their mouths. Oh, Christ can do all that and more. In every church in our land, there is needed confession, repentance, and reconversion. Oh, and this in the yellow letters gets my heart every time. The disappointment of Christ is beyond description. Unless those who have sinned speedily repent, the deceptions of the last days will overtake them. Some, though they do not realize it, are preparing to be overtaken. God calls for repentance without delay. Some, I think, feel they are training people to be ready, and they may be training people to be not ready, and that's a sad statement. Today, men have almost filled the cup of their iniquity, but the Lord does not execute the death penalty until, right? On the transgressor of Israel, until they have heard the warning. God is such a just and fair and loving savior and advocate and judge, and have been given an opportunity to see the result of their rebellion against him. How wonderful is his forbearance and patience. He is putting a constraint on his own attributes. This is a, an amazing statement. Omnipotence is exerted over omnipotence. What a God we serve. So this deeper repentance is what God is calling us into. You might say, well, I already repented of that. You know, it kind of starts with the outward stuff, right? He shows us stuff that, you know, is, you know, we may have some idea of, but then the work goes deeper and the work goes deeper. And he keeps dredging this stuff out of us, right? that is just gonna do us harm, right? It's, he's, not, he's not doing us harm. He's like a skillful surgeon taking away that which would do us harm. At every advanced step our, in our Christian experience, our repentance will deepen. It is to those whom the Lord has forgiven, to those whom he acknowledges as his people that he says, then shall you remember your own evil ways and your doings that were not good and shall loathe yourselves in your own sight. Again, he says, I will establish my covenant with thee and thou will know that I am the Lord, that thou mayest remember and be confounded and never open thy mouth anymore because of thy shame. No holier than thou attitude should be given, right? Not from Laodicea. Never open thy mouth again because of thy shame when I am pacified, the King James says, or have been forgiven, other versions say, or made atonement toward you for all that thou hast done, says the Lord. That's Ezekiel 16, 62, and 63. And so here's what God does, right? Rather than how many of you in the, uh, when, when the weeds are growing, you just go out there, oh, I'll just get them with the weed eater, right? So, <laughs> so you're, yeah. What happens? They come back up, right? <laughs> They're not gone. What is the way to get rid of those weeds? And don't say Roundup, no, <laughs> right? Pull them out by the roots. 
And that's what God wants to do with sin in our lives. The work of restoration can never be thorough unless the roots of evil are reached. Again and again, the shoots have been clipped while the root of bitterness, oh, don't let bitterness take over your life, please, my dear church members. These men in 1888, Jones and Wagner, were bitterly oppressed. Things were said to them, done to them in public and in private rooms that never should be done to ministers of God. Again and again, the shoots have been clipped while the root of bitterness has been left to spring up to defile many. But the very depth of hidden evil must be reached. The moral senses must be judged and judged again. So God gets to our very motives, not just the thing that we did or the thing that we didn't do, but the reason why we did or didn't do that thing. Judged again and again in the light of the divine presence, the daily life will testify whether the work is genuine by their fruits. You will know them. So it will be will all who behold Christ. So here's the key. Look to Christ. The nearer we come to Jesus, the more clearly we discern the purity of his character. How do we look in ourselves? It's like, whoa, woe is me, right? The more clearly we shall see the exceeding sinfulness of sin and the less will feel like exalting ourselves. We might compare ourselves among each other and maybe we can find somebody and think we look better than them or whatever, right? But not when we look to Jesus. <laughs> we realize, oh, woe is me. We see the exceeding sinfulness of sin. There will be a continual reaching out of the soul after God, a continual, earnest, heartbreaking confession of sin and humbling of heart before him. This is what God is calling us to. Repentance. It's a gift. It's not something you can work up any more than you can work up the love that God wants to display in our lives, put on our hearts and display in our lives. You can't get there by doing enough. You have to accept it as a gift and then let it work, and it will. The God of our fathers, Acts 5, 30 and 31 says, <clears throat> who raised up Jesus, whom you slew and hung on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior for to give repentance to Israel. It's a gift and the forgiveness of sins. There's gonna come a time, and I pray it soon for Christ's sake, that this old world will melt away, right? But first, God is doing something in and wants to do something through his people. It's the leadership and it's the members together that will have an experience that we do not now have. That's what Zechariah 12, 10 points us to, where it says, I will pour, and thanks, Angela, for reading this, upon the house of David, that is the leadership and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, that is the lay people, the spirit of grace and of supplications. And they will look upon me whom they have pierced and they will mourn for him as one that mourns for his only son and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. Now, it could just be 
you study and see what you think. The spirit of grace and of supplication that shall look upon me. It's as if Jesus is talking, right? He was the one that was pierced. But then they shall mourn for who? For him. Could that be the father? As one that mourneth for his only son shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. And to close, that which God purposed to do for the world through Israel, they were conditional promises, many of the promises to Israel. His chosen nation, what he couldn't do there, he will finally accomplish. Amen? There's going to come an end to this world, and God's using his church to do so. He has let out his vineyard to other husbandmen, even to his covenant-keeping people who faithfully render him their fruits in their seasons. You know, here's the truth of the matter. God doesn't rest until we do. Amen? He sees and feels it all. The longer we delay, the longer we say, well, this world's not bad, you know, a few things going here and there. The longer we try to hold on to both, the longer his heart is pained by what's going on across the world. I don't know what pains are in your heart, but I do know that you can only feel just a fraction of what God feels. And it must be overwhelming, as I said in a sermon here recently. Do you ever pray and say, God, how are you today? How are you doing? Because he is a being with feelings. And he's pained in his heart at this long delay. So I pray that it will be no longer that we will step up, right, in his strength and allow him to do what he wants to do, not just take care of sin's guilt, which he's already done that, but also it's power in our lives. I love this hymn, Rock of Ages. I was, uh, Grant and I were talking recently about rereading the lyrics, and uh, it's just tremendous. I want to share those with you as we're closing now. Rock of Ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. He's the only rock that we can hide in. Rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy riven side which flowed be of sin the double cure. We need a double cure, not a single cure. Cleanse me from its guilt and power. Two things. Actually, there's really three things, isn't it? The very presence of sin will be done away with. At Jesus' coming. Nothing in my hand I bring. We can't accomplish this by what we have in our hands. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. That's what the book of Revelation is telling us. That's what the message to Laodicea is saying. Come, you're naked. Come to me for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Vile, the author says, vile I to the fountain fly, that fountain of Christ's blood. Wash me, Savior, or I die. Rock of ages cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let's pray. 
Oh, Father, today's message was a challenging message. It was a down-to-our-souls message. But, Lord, it's a message filled with hope that Laodicea will repent individually and corporately. And this will usher in your beautiful second coming. In some, some sense, you are waiting on us to accept the perfect, spotless righteousness woven in the loom of heaven without one thread of human devising. That's your righteousness. Father, we can never get there on our own, but you've offered all this to us as a gift. And so, Lord, forgive us where we may have looked like some of these statements we read. And, Lord, we're just so grateful for the hope that we have in you and the promise that you will do this work You who began it will finish it. So Lord, work in our hearts and lives. Connect us so firmly to you that we will not fall and we will not lead others astray, but lead others to you. May you be the rock of ages to our souls today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.